if you could open your order of service again. Um, and it's a privilege to invite Peter Comont, a pastor from 96, 97, um, who will come and read our, our passage for us. And then Matthew Weston. Matthew, if you could introduce yourself before you preach as well, it would be great. Well, what a privilege to be here and to be reading about a central hope for Christians. Apostle Paul says, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we're then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, and then when he comes those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he, has, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. And now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, then what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? But as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be dis misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Thank you, Peter, um, and good morning, everyone. Uh, as Dan said, my name is Matthew Weston. I was a member here for three years um, and uh, a year ago went off to study at a theological college in North London uh, sent by the church to train 
uh, to be a minister elsewhere. So thank you for having me back, in particular on a day like today. It's a real um, joy to be here. The Christian life is one of death and resurrection. The Christian life is one of death and resurrection. Last week, uh, for those who are here, uh, we saw in the first part of this chapter of Paul's letter to the Corinthians that the Christian message is one of death and resurrection. The Christian message is of sins forgiven through the death of Jesus on the cross and of eternal life guaranteed through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The Christian message is one of death and resurrection and the Christian life is too because it follows the pattern of Jesus. Death and resurrection. Suffering and glory. Struggles and joy. Giving up everything and gaining the whole world. Jesus says, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. The Christian life is one of death in all of its forms, whether metaphorical or literal, and resurrection. Now, if you weren't here last week, we looked at the reality of Jesus' resurrection. And if that's something that you have questions about, then do uh, come chat to me afterwards, or you can look up the talk on our website. But Paul's aim in this passage that we're looking at today isn't to convince you that the resurrection actually happened. That's kind of his, um, his foundation. Uh, that's his working assumption. Instead, he's going to show us how essential the resurrection is for the Christian life. The resurrection makes sense of the Christian life. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, then listen in to what Paul is saying. If you like, try on his glasses from which he sees the world and see, does it make sense? Because he's going to tell us that the Christian life needs resurrection that actually our lives as Christians should speak of the resurrection. And if they don't, then we've got a problem. So where are we up to uh, in this chapter? Verses 1 to 11, Paul reminds the Corinthians of the good news that he taught them and that they believed in, a message that has resurrection at its heart. And so in verse 12, at the beginning of this passage... We can sense something of Paul's incredulity. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, it literally has. I've just, you know, preached it to you again. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, just to clarify, uh, here he's not saying that the Corinthians are denying that Jesus rose from the dead necessarily, but rather this idea of a general resurrection. That is that there is life after death, and that it is physical. Let me explain. If you've um, grown up in the UK as I have, then you've probably got a vague idea of what the Christian notion of heaven is supposed to be like. There's all of the jokes with St. Peter at the gates, with a floating on clouds playing a harp, the Philadelphia cheese adverts of yesteryear. It's a bit wishy-washy, it's kind of light as air, it's not a million miles away from a common view in Paul's day that when we die, our souls are somehow liberated from our bodies, 
our bodies being kind of earthy and yucky, and that actually our souls need to escape from the physical. They're to be shed as soon as we can. But that is far, far removed from the actual Christian hope, because the Christian hope is for resurrection, that is, physical bodies. Bodies set free from the aches and pains and illnesses of this life, recreated, perfect, able to be touched, renewed, resurrected is the term. And that is what Paul is incredulous incredulous about in this first verse, verse 12. You believe in Jesus' resurrection, don't you? He says. So how can you believe in all of this airy-fairy stuff? that your, your souls kind of get separated from your body. Jesus was raised in a body, wasn't he? So how can you say that we won't be? That's the issue for Paul. Because for Paul, the two, Jesus' resurrection and ours, are so closely linked together that to deny one is to deny the other. So in verse 13, he puts it the other way around. He says, if there's no general resurrection of the dead as you're saying, then, then not even Christ could have been raised. Verse 12, if Christ has been raised, how can you say we won't be? Verse 13, if we're not raised, then Jesus can't have been. What's the implication? Verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. In other words, that's it. It's over. Without the resurrection, let's pack up shop. It's like a load-bearing wall in a house. You take that one out and the rest comes crashing down. Without the resurrection, Paul's preaching is useless, literally empty, no substance, gone like a puff of smoke. And the Corinthians' faith, it's gone, vanished. This is what happens when we try and remove the supernatural from the Christian faith. As many have done over the last couple of centuries, you'd think maybe you take the supernatural out and you'd be left with some kind of moral code. But no, Paul says, you take the heart out. As um, someone, an Australian journalist, wrote um, earlier this week, the idea that we can live off Christianity's moral capital, its ethics and traditions, without believing in it, appeals naturally to people of a certain age, but you cannot inspire the young with a vision which you happily admit arises from beliefs that are fictional and nothing more than long-standing superstition. Christianity is either true or it's not much use at all. Because the whole Christian life begins and is sustained by death and resurrection. If you take that out, there is nothing left. Christian morality is based on the resurrection. Christian compassion is empowered by the resurrection. Without that load-bearing wall, the whole house comes crashing down. Even worse, says Paul, verse 15, we end up as false witnesses about God who has testified that he he has raised Christ from the dead. It is bad enough being accused of libel by another person, but when both the complainant and the judge are the God of the universe, then you're really in trouble. If you say he did something that he did not in fact do, you have no possible defense. You've said that God 
raised Christ from the dead. But if the dead aren't raised, then he didn't. Oops. Then, verse 17, Paul expands on what he said earlier. Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You cut out the resurrection and you lose the whole message. Forgiveness of sins, forget it. It's like removing the heart and expecting the blood to keep on pumping. The resurrection is the heartbeat of the Christian message and the Christian life. Without it, the rest of the body would just wither away. And so Paul summarizes this first section in verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, if you're not a Christian here, I don't know what you think about Christians. I hope that you've seen something of our care for each other, our love uh, for our communities, the joy that we have in knowing Jesus. But Paul says here that if not for the hope of resurrection, you are to pity us. Occasionally, I see interactions online uh, where atheists are mocking Christians for their beliefs. Poor, misguided fools and worse things. But Paul says that without the resurrection, they are right. Why? Because the Christian life is one of death and resurrection. That is, it begins with death. Jesus calls us to take up our crosses. We die to ourselves, to our own desires. We put God first, even when it's costly. There is hardship and pain. There is suffering and there is struggling. The Christian life is an experience of death. Elsewhere, Paul describes his own experience uh, in these words. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. We are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Death is at work in us. And so in this passage, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be pitied. Because we are experiencing death with no hope of resurrection. But... Christ has indeed been raised. Verse 20, he's been raised, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is why Paul links Jesus' resurrection and ours so closely. It's like they are two halves of the same event. Now, it's almost been a year since my daughter Emma was born, uh, the event is very strongly fixed in my mind. Uh, but even if you've never seen a baby being born, you'll get this. Once the head is out, the rest of the body follows. <laughs> or to use Paul's metaphor, Christ's resurrection is like the first fruits of the harvest. Now, back in December, I cut down my raspberry canes to the ground. And since then, I've been watching the new ones grow back. In around June, one of the canes just produced a handful of fruits, the first of the new season. They're like the guarantee of the harvest to come. And if we hadn't eaten them for brunch yesterday, I'd have some to show you now. Christ's resurrection is like the first fruits of the harvest. It is a foretaste. It is a guarantee of more to come. 
verse 21. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. That is, Jesus' resurrection is him as a man and not just as divine. In other words, when Jesus is raised, it is as one of us. His resurrection is like our resurrection. In fact, in some ways, his resurrection is our resurrection, just the first installment of it. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Death is a universal experience for humanity, but the man, Jesus Christ, has been raised from the dead, and for those who belong to him, resurrection is now as certain as death. The Christian life is one of death and resurrection, both now in our experience and in the future. So there is still an experience of death in the Christian life. In verses 23 uh, to 28, we see the order that things will happen in the future. So Christ's resurrection is described as the first fruits, the guarantee, but it's only later that those who belong to him will experience the fullness of that resurrection. It is at that later point that he will destroy all dominion, authority, and power that death has over us, crushing it under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. It will happen. Death will be destroyed. It is assured by the first fruits of Jesus' resurrection. But, but our experience of death is still here now because we live in the gap the gap between Jesus' resurrection and ours. And so we experience death. Yes, we still do, but we also experience something of that resurrection. So, when we become a Christian, we die to ourselves, but we are raised to new life in Christ. Living as a Christian means dying to ourselves daily, but with the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. Sharing the good news of Jesus with others is a sacrifice. It is hard. It involves crossing that awkward social barrier of speaking about spiritual things in our secular culture. It involves going across cultures. It is hard, but it leads to new life in others death and resurrection. It is no surprise that the church has grown, often grown the most, where it is being persecuted. People experience something of death and yet they persevere through it. And they testify to resurrection hope. Or giving our money, giving our time. Many here will have helped raise money to buy the old schoolhouse or given time to making it ready. That sacrifice, it's like a mini death, but it bears resurrection fruit. It's not necessarily the case that these, these mini deaths, these experiences of suffering and pain, directly and inevitably lead as kind of the next event to resurrection. But rather that this is a general pattern of the Christian life. The Christian life is full of suffering, but it is also full of glory. It is marked by hard work, but it comes with real blessing. 
We lose our lives for Jesus and the gospel, and in doing so, we find true life. That is the pattern of the Christian life. As Paul writes elsewhere, and I've quoted some of it selectively earlier, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Then Paul goes on to explain how we can persevere through that experience of suffering. It is because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Outwardly wasting away, inwardly renewed day by day. Troubles now, glory to come. Death and resurrection in our experience now, and then through death to resurrection life in the future. That is the Christian life. And we've heard about it today in the history of this church, of this building. Money and time poured out for the local community. Mr. Alfred Trotman, the first pastor of this church, dying young through giving his life to the poor and needy. Many, many deaths, both literal and metaphorical. And yet what do we see? Resurrection life. Countless people's lives changed by the work here. Many of them in this room, many of them we have heard about. Myself among them, we had three incredible years here that I hope will prepare us for a lifetime of sacrificial service. Or take, uh, for example, the story of buying the old schoolhouse. Many will know here that after years of preparatory work, our bid was not initially accepted. It looked like we'd lost the building, but we kept praying. And out of what looked like the death of our plans, God brought them to life again when the bidding was reopened and eventually we bought the building. The Christian life is one of death and resurrection. It is always the pattern. We see it everywhere because we follow a crucified and risen saviour. And so as a church, we can cling on to that hope of resurrection, whatever our experience because we follow in the path of our Lord and Saviour who went before us, and where he goes, we too will follow. And so, as we start a new chapter in the life of our church here, as we move to larger premises, with much potential but much still to do, we have a choice. We have two options. And my question for us is this. Are we willing to face death in the hope of resurrection? Are we willing to face death in the hope of resurrection? We've been waiting for this day for many years. 
It is both a joy and a sadness to leave. But we haven't arrived. Well, later today we will literally arrive in the old schoolhouse, but that's not what I mean. There is still work to be done. When my wife and I were engaged, it was all about the wedding. Getting invitations out, the order of service, uh, making decisions about colour schemes, centrepieces. But rightly, we were encouraged to think about our marriage beyond the wedding, because the wedding would soon be over, but a lifetime of marriage awaited. And so here we have planned and we have prepared and we have waited. And finally, we are moving. But what next? There will still be much to do. Sacrifices still needed, money, time, effort. But they're not the main things. They're just getting the venue ready. The real sacrifices are for our wider community. We might have a clear picture in our minds about what we think Magdalen Road Church will look like in the years to come, but not everything about that will be or should be comfortable because we need to die to our preferences for the sake of others who are not like us. The church should be full of people who are not university educated, who are not middle class, who are not white British. In other words, who are like the people around us, or some in this room. And we need to be prepared to cross those barriers of class and culture to share our resurrection hope with those around us. Those of us here who are in a, in a minority, they need to help us. You need to help us to do that better. And it's not always going to be easy for us. It might mean late nights on the Cowley Road, connecting with people. It might mean changes to our meetings on a Sunday that will make us feel awkward or uncomfortable, but will make others feel more welcome. It will definitely mean more misunderstandings and a greater need for bearing with each other in love. But for those of us who are in the cultural majority, we should know that that's just the experience of some of our brothers and sisters at the moment. And it would certainly be the experience of those outside who we would love to see in here, unless we change. We need to die to our preferences. In other words, it will be the ordinary Christian life. It will be death and resurrection. It will be hard work and it will be real fruit. And it is what Paul does in the last section of our passage today. Uh, look down at verse 30, where he says, Why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. That is what Christian service looks like for Paul. Verse 32, I fought wild beasts in Ephesus. Probably actually a metaphor referring to uh, human opposition. Uh, danger, death, fighting foes. That is Paul's experience. And while it is unlikely that we will experience the same extremities, it will be ours too. But there is still resurrection hope. Verse 31, where Paul says he rejoices, he glories in the Corinthians who came to faith through his ministry. There was new life amidst the little deaths 
of Paul's experience. That's option one. Option two, we can focus on this life and forget the resurrection. We can celebrate our wonderful new building and neglect the reality of Christian ministry that we have not yet arrived. Much as there is great rejoicing at moving into the old schoolhouse, it is not the new heavens and the new earth. The end of verse 32, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That could be us. We've arrived, we've moved in, let's enjoy it. Let's take the foot off the pedal. Let's put our feet up, ease, comfort. But without the pattern of death and resurrection in our lives, there will be those, verse 34, who remain ignorant of God. For those here who would not call themselves Christians, can you see that we have quite a lot to live up to? Without resurrection hope, our lives are supposed to make no sense because we're supposed to lay down our lives for each other and to pour ourselves out for those around us, for you. Costly sacrifice, that is what we're called to, and it shouldn't make any sense, but it is the resurrection that sustains us. We look back to Jesus' resurrection and see that our past, our sins, have been dealt with. We are able to die daily in the present because it is resurrection power that is at work in us. And we look forward to a future where Jesus will return and his resurrection will be the first fruits of our resurrection. We have a hope in the face of death and we want you to know it too. And Christians here... How will people know it if actually they just see us like everyone else? If our lives are not patterned on that same gospel of death and resurrection? And so, brothers and sisters at Moreland Road, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Run the race. Keep running. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the Christ. He, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. In other words, with his eyes fixed on resurrection, he went through death. Where our Saviour goes... We will follow, and we should follow. Let me pray. Our loving Father, you gave us a saviour who died and who rose again. Equip us now by your spirit to follow him. Amen.